Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer Podcast, brought to you by Rocket Agency. I'm your host, James Lawrence. Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer Podcast. I'm here today with Marcus Sheridan. Marcus, welcome. James, happy to be here. I think we're going to have a great conversation. Excellent, my man. So, Marcus is the author of They Ask You Answer. They Ask You Answer was rated the number one marketing book to read by Mashable. It's listed in the top five marketing books of all time by the Book Authority. Forbes listed it as one of the 11 marketing books every CMO should read. Marcus was described by the international keynote speaker as one of 20 speakers you don't want to miss the opportunity to see. He's, you've been basically featured everywhere, mate. You've been featured in The Globe, The Mail, Content Marketing Institute, Social Media Examiner. You've been described as a web marketing guru by The New York Times. Marcus, welcome to the pod. Hey. Excellent. Good times. Good times indeed. It's been a so, fun ride. Yeah, you've been, you've been busy. I think... Um, I think I first came across your story when I was at Content Marketing World um, mm. in Cleveland, Ohio. I think maybe 2016, 17. I didn't know of the book at that time. I guess it was probably in the works. Um, yes. Heard your story about kind of where you went from in business through kind of into the marketing space. Um, you, we then, Dave and I, put Smart Marketer together. You actually feature in, in a section about. Um, giving prospective buyers what they want as opposed to what you want. Yeah. Um, but I think just for listeners that aren't as familiar with your story, just yeah, a summary of kind of where you came from in business and, and how you've kind of moved yeah. through into, into the marketing space. Here's the quick 101. Uh, right out of college, I started a company, a swimming pool company called River Pools 2001 uh, with a couple of buddies and uh, things were going okay up until 2008. 2009. That's when the market crashed. I thought we were going to lose the business. But the beauty of pain and suffering is it forces <laughs> us to do things we otherwise wouldn't have done, right? And so I started to really research, learning different things like content marketing, inbound marketing, social media blogging. What I heard in my simple pool guy mind, James, was, you know, if I just obsess over my customers' questions, worries, fears, issues, and I'm willing to address those on my website, I could save my business, right? So I said, that's what we're going to do. We're going to become the Wikipedia of pools. And this was um, uh, essentially March of 2009. And uh, I can remember sitting down one, one night that March, and I was brainstorming every single question that I had ever been asked about a swimming pool. <laughs> and then every night for the next two years, I produced an article or a video that addressed every single one of those questions. And I called this, this uh, framework, this philosophy, they ask, you answer. And to make a long story short, we became the most traffic swimming pool website in the world. And then we took off. And then we started, uh, because we were getting so many leads, I started manufacturing pools. And then we became the fastest growing manufacturer of pools uh, in the U.S. And then we became a franchise. Now we have river pools all over the country. And it was during this time, too, that I started having companies say, hey, how did you do that? Uh, could you share that from our stage at our event? And I became a full-time speaker. I started an agency. That agency today has about 70 employees. And we help companies all over the world implement this philosophy, this framework of they ask, you answer. So I still got the pool company. It's been an unbelievable ride. Uh, but what's so cool, James, is watching so many companies become the most trusted voice in their space, turn their business around, achieve heights they never dreamt possible, all because they're just listening really well and answering their customers' questions online. So good. Such a good journey. <laughs> it's great. I love it every single day, my man. 
it's amazing so so cool what um the question i did want to ask you was what's the value of the article now the famous article of how much does a fiberglass pool cost what how many sales have it you is now up, yeah so you know we wrote i was the first person in the swimming pool industry to talk about how much a fiberglass pool costs which is one of the principles of the book if you haven't read the book uh there's basically five subjects that every buyer wants to know when yeah. it comes to they ask you answer and uh one of them is cost and so we wrote an article uh, in 2009 on how much does fiberglass pool cost, and I have done the recent numbers on this. And the revenue attribution to that one single post that took me 45 minutes to write at my kitchen table for just my company in Virginia, not the national company, but just the company in Virginia is much greater than the number I'm going to tell you is $25 million in sales. I'm going to have to update the number. I think it was six mil in the Smarter Marketer book. Yeah. Originally, when I wrote the book, it was it was like that. It was about six million dollars. Incredible. So it just keeps it just keeps going up, right? That's the glories of revenue attribution. Which, if you're listening to this and you're a marketer, you sure as heck better be looking for some revenue attribution. Otherwise, you're never going to get a raise. You're never yep. going to get the resources you deserve within your marketing department. Yeah, that's it. Um, and I think that's the beauty of content, right? It's it's good content in theory is evergreen or close to and. You mentioned 45 minutes to write the article and it's still generating income, you know. Yeah, that's a pretty solid ROI. It's not bad. I don't know what that is. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I'm I'm, I'm about a half a million dollars per minute ROI right now. So, (laughs) is that your speaking? That's your speaking rate as well. (laughs) Yeah, it's tracking. It's tracking pretty well. But uh, yeah, it is the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, It never stops working for you, content, if you use it the right way. It doesn't sleep, it doesn't leave you for another company. Um, it doesn't ask you for a raise. And uh, so it just takes somebody that's willing to do that, which others in your space haven't done. And what's funny, James, is a lot of companies say, yeah, we produce content, but most companies don't produce good content. When I mean good content, that's the stuff that buyers really want to know that most organizations and businesses are afraid to talk about, right? Just like uh, everybody that's listening to this right now, if you've got a salesperson on your on your team or if you're a sales in, in sales, you've been asked about the competition before. Well, how much on your website do you talk about the competition right now? And I'm not saying that you should reference anything negative, but you should absolutely be talking about the competition because the marketplace wants to know and they're asking you these questions, right? So that's an example. Most, most don't talk about it. Most don't talk about the negatives. What could go wrong? What are the drawbacks? Like you're a HubSpot partner, I'm a HubSpot partner. We openly talk about the drawbacks, the negatives, the problems with HubSpot. And, uh, you know, I remember the first time I wrote about the problems of the HubSpot, that was probably like 2011. Hmm. And um, that, uh, that was one of my primary lead generators for a long time, you know, as an agency. And so you don't hide from the negative, but too many companies want to, right? They just bury their head in the sand. That's it. I think like the book references that, right? Like the reality is, is that and I think the reference in the book is to buying a Ford Mustang, you know, 20 something model. And it's kind of like, if you're looking at buying that car, you don't want to read the good reviews. You want to read the bad ones, right? You actually want to know what the drawbacks of the car are, what the issues yeah. are, because that's. it doesn't matter how you frame it. That's what is in the mind of the prospective client, right? Prospective customer. Well, to, to that, what's really interesting about today's buyer is, and all of us have learned to do this, the only time we research what's wrong with something, what's negative about something, what could go wrong with something, I'm talking about a purchase, yeah. is when we're serious about buying it. Yeah. That's the only time. The only time somebody's going to search online, what are the problems of the fiberglass pool? It's if they want to buy a fiberglass pool, yeah. right? If somebody's searching, what are the problems with HubSpot? It's because they're interested in buying HubSpot. That's how it works. But you know what's crazy is most companies won't talk about what's wrong with the thing. 
you know, we talked about the problems with fiberglass pools. That article's made over a couple million dollars in revenue attribution so far, right? Because the greatest way in life to resolve a concern is to address it before it becomes a concern. Yeah. Best salespeople know this, the best marketers know this. And so, you know, what happens oftentimes is because we don't like to address the sticky subjects, the hard subjects, they get asked to us during the sales process. By that point, it's probably too late anyway. But if you get asked, that means you're on your heels. You're being reactive. Yeah. So proactivity is the key to any great content strategy and framework. And that's why they ask you answer works so very well. But it forces you to think way more like a consumer, like a buyer, less like a business. And that's a good thing, by the way. It's a very, very good thing. Can we um, can we jump into the the crux of the book, right? I think like obviously it's about obsessing over your customer, what's in their mind, their journey. Um, what I, I want to talk later on just about the, the buyer journey and it has changed, right? Like 30 years ago, us as brands had the control. You walk into a car dealership to buy that Mustang. It's the car dealer. It's the sales guy on the floor that has the brochure, has the specs. Yeah, 30 kinda... years ago, we had a sales process. Today, we've got a buying process. That's, That's it. how it works. Yeah. Right? It's no longer a sales process. Yeah. If you think it is, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're sorely, sorely you're mistaken because the business is no longer in charge of that game. Yeah, that's it. So premise of the book, they ask you answer, obsess over your customer. What are the things going on in their brain that you as a brand, as a business can share? Yeah, and I would what, say there's, the a quick, there's a quick way you can audit yourself when they ask you answer. Okay? Yeah. Number one, you got to be willing to talk about that which nobody's willing to talk about in your space. Number two, you got to be willing to show via video what nobody else is willing to show in your space. And then number three, you got to be willing to sell in a way nobody else is willing to sell in your space. So tell, show, sell. Those are the three fundamental actions that we've got to be willing to do. And again, in a way that others are not doing in our space, or at least the majority are not doing in our space. Listen, if the content on your website, just pretty much like everybody else in your space, it ain't good. You might think it's good, but it's not going to resonate with the marketplace. Yeah. If the videos you have on your site are just like everybody else, some glorious about us video, you ain't good. You're not going to get traction. If you're selling today, like you were three years ago before COVID, I'm sure is day that you are getting left behind by the marketplace. Yep. Because we shouldn't be selling today like we were before COVID because the marketplace has changed, right? So what you just said a second ago, the studies today show that today's buyers, somewhere between 70 to 80% through the buyer's journey, before they reach out to a company. They are vetting us to death. That's what's happening. Yep. And to this, what does it mean? It means the sales department is handling less of that buying process, that buying decision than ever. The marketing department is handling more than they ever have, which is why the two departments should be more overlapped than they've ever been. Because marketing should be responsible for revenue, not fluffy stuff anymore. Sales should be responsible for some marketing activity, like being a subject matter expert, maybe for videos, things like that, that should be on the website, because oftentimes they're the most familiar with some of those answers yeah. to buyer questions. So many companies do not understand this reality. Go back 25 years, the internet's just getting started. We're probably, you know, by the time we reach out to a company, James, we're 20 to 30 through the buyer cycle, right? Through the buyer's journey. Yep. Today, we're at 70 to 80%. Tomorrow, we're going to be somewhere around 90%. This number will not go back. Everybody yep. needs to swallow that pill. So that's the huge, massive pill 
every organization has to swallow. And then there's the second trend. This is one has been catapulted since COVID and it's just taken off, which is this study by Gartner, 33% of all buyers say they would prefer to have a seller free sales experience. I'll repeat, 33% of all buyers say they would prefer to have a seller-free sales experience. For millennials, the number is 44%. So what does this mean? Well, I don't think it necessarily means that we don't ever want to talk to a salesperson, but here's the reality that we got to all swallow. We do not want to talk to a salesperson until we are good and ready to talk to said salesperson. That's the key. And if we don't feel fed, if we don't feel prepared, if we don't feel ready, if we don't feel knowledgeable, if we don't feel like we have our ducks in a row, we're not going to engage. And so the companies that are willing to help them feel those things because they're giving the information that they want when everybody else will not, because they're not hedging it, saving it for that face-to-face -face interaction with the salesperson, which is ridiculous in 2022 and beyond. So for the company that's not thinking that way is that instead thinking our buyers are not dumb. They're gonna get the information that they want. So we're gonna make sure they get it from us. We're gonna be a part of every conversation. We're not gonna hide. We're not gonna be the ostrich with our head buried in the sand. We're going to lean into it, whatever it is, question, worry, fear, issue, concern. We're going to go at it aggressively. And so that's the key. That's what they ask you answer is. And that's why it's fundamental because of those two numbers, that 70 to 80% number and the 33% seller free number. And do you, do you see, because I feel here in Australia that so many businesses are still so overly sales orientated where you've still got this more traditional structure, which is kind of marketing brings you know, the leads in, but then it's all sales driven. It's kind of driven by sales budgets. And if sales is, isn't performing, it's blame marketing. Do you still, do you see the flip is happening where revenue departments are being led by marketers, not salespeople in America? Or do you think it's kind of a continuation? Yeah, what, well, of the what same? we're seeing more of is the, it's, it's the really forward thinking companies. A lot of them have revenue teams, yeah. right? Where there's a lot more interaction between what would be traditionally considered sales and marketing. Uh, a lot more overlap there. Um, you know, it, look, just look at the explosion of e-commerce and B2B. Just think about that for a second. Ex clear explosion of e-commerce in, in B2B. This goes back to the seller free. This goes back to, and look, listen, if something is an e-commerce sale, who gets credit for that? Is that sales department or marketing? Hmm. I mean, it's the majority of the time, that ain't the sales department that made that sale. The majority of the time. Right. And so we all see the shift. A lot of companies don't want to recognize it or accept it as true or whatever it is. Um, you know, I've got a lot of clients in Australia, New Zealand, a lot of companies doing they ask you answer there. And to your point, you're accurate, James. Um, there's resistance. But you know what? There was there, there was in 1996, 97, this very interesting thing happened to salespeople. Many of them were forced to do this thing called electronic mail, 1996, 1997. A lot of them didn't want to do it. A lot of them pushed back and a lot of them got left behind. And how did it go for those people? Mm -hmm. Not too well. We're in another, you know, we're in another era just like that of continuous rapid change and growth. And there's companies not wanting to get on board, but you know, there was companies that didn't want to get websites and how to work out for them. Yeah. 
It's That's like, it. you know, it just keeps it just keeps going, right? There's companies that don't want to do video and ain't going to work out for them. And eventually, we're going to say there's companies that don't want to have anything to do with Web3, which, by the way, I don't think you need anything to do with Web3 right now, but eventually you will. Yeah. You will. And so even though I'm not worried about it today so much, there will come a day when I'm going to I'm going to really lean in because that's what the marketplace is asking for. You see, they ask you answer isn't just the questions they're asking is how do they want to buy? Right? What what are their behaviors? What are their preferences? And can I meet them where they are? Letting go of this idea that oh, I've got to be fully in charge yep. of the sales process. And that's classic marketing, right? Market orientation. It's about putting yourself in the in the, the shoes of the prospect, not your own brand, right? Yeah, what's interesting though is that's the great divide on the internet is companies, certain companies just can't get past themselves and truly empathize and think like a buyer. Hmm. I I believe they could, but just something they just won't allow themselves to. And they'll find every reason, excuse not to. Just like there's people listening to this podcast right now that have already said, this don't apply to me. You are saying that you are currently being left behind. It's like the person that's sitting at the beach in a lounge chair. The tide is coming in and they're thinking, I still want to move my chair. <laughs> You're going to get wet. <laughs> the tide will not stop because we don't move the chair. We eventually always move the chair, even though we're comfortable and even though we don't want to move everything. We move the chair. It's what happens. And so if you're listening to this right now, your company ain't different. It's not special. It's not unique when it comes to this fundamental emotion of trust. That's really what, what's the catalyst of they ask you answer. It's how can we become the most trusted voice in our space? Well, we got to give more. We got we to say more. We got to make it easier for them. We got to tell them, teach them. That's what we got to do. Can we talk now, about adoption? Because like, I think... The, the, the audience in the pod, they're marketers, right? So I think a lot of what is in the book, a lot of what you're saying, a lot of my perspective, I think we're all in alignment, right? I think often- No, we're ch- not in alignment, James. No, no, but in terms we're not of- in al- how, many, how many marketers talk about in the B2B service-based business are talking and pushing hard to talk about cost and price on their website right now? Most are not. That's fair. Most That's a- marketers fall in line with what is traditional in their space most. And that's sad because we're creative. We're good. We're better. Now, now, that doesn't mean they want to. It means they do. I think as marketers, we have to push harder. We can't accept less. Do you know how many emails I've gotten over the years from marketers that have said to me, Marcus, I'm so sick and tired of it because I know they ask you answer would work. But the problem is I can't get buy-in. Now, part of that problem is because we got to stop talking like marketers. I swear, they should have an entire, like in marketing school or in university, they should have an entire year on just how to communicate with sales and leadership so that we can influence them. Because if you want to influence leadership, you got to talk like a leader to the business. If you want to influence sales, you have to talk the language of sales. What we can't do is we can't sound like marketers. The reason why they ask you answer has been outrageously successful at moving CEOs to the side of, huh, we need to spend more on marketing. It's because it doesn't sound 
like it was written by a marketer. And I know it might sound like I'm oversimplifying this, but this is fundamental. It's critical. And this is why we're seeing so many frustrated marketers. This is why the average CMO lasts shorter today than they've ever lasted within their organizations. Less than 18 months on yeah. average for CMOs around the world. There's a lot of frustration, a lack of buy-in still, but we have to look at ourselves and not blame leadership. We've got to get better as marketers. Because that's what like, that's what I'm coming from, right? Like, how, how do we do it? Because it is, like, I, I think... If you read the book, it's compelling, right? And I think we all agree that yeah. putting ourselves in the mind of the buyer, answering questions, um, often I do find down here that it's not marketers that don't want to push the envelope, that don't want to open up the gates around information and trust. It's roadblocks that you get from sales departments, right? No way are we talking pricing on the website or from C-suite, which is but this should work in three months. This should work in a month. You know what I mean? I'm used to spending money on marketing and getting results when I, I do want to get to... Um, later on in the pod in terms of um, how do we judge success? How long does it take in your experience? But I think from your experience of putting this into organizations. Why are we, fail why are we failing? Let's talk about that for a yep. second. Okay, why are we failing to get the buy-in? Yeah. So you've been to Inbound before. Yeah. You're going to go to, uh, what was it called, SMX in Europe this yep. year? I think you, you yeah, mentioned yeah, you might go to that, right? You go to Inbound and you say, okay, how many of you are marketers in this room? 95% raised their hand. Yep. Right? And then you say, how many of you are owners? A couple percent raise their hand. How many of you are sales professionals? A couple percent raise yep. their hand. Okay, so here's what happens. We go to the inbounds of the world. We get fired up. We get moved. We want to take action. And so we go back to the office as marketers. We present to our team what we heard. And because they weren't there, what do they say? Eh, just not into it. Yep. They didn't catch the vision. They weren't in that state of high learning. So I tell marketers all the time, what would happen if you went to the CEO of your company and you said to the CEO, listen, I know I've got XYZ budget to go to XYZ event this year. But because it's so important to me that you catch the vision, I would like to ask for you to go in my stead. So I don't want the company to spend any money on me. I'm going to ask for you to go. Would you be willing to do that? Now, how many marketers have ever made that offer to somebody on their leadership team or, or the CEO of their company, whomever whomever they really yeah. need to get that buy-in from? Yeah. I can tell you not, not a lot, not a lot. Every sales manager should be at those conferences and leadership teams should be at those conferences, but they're usually not there, James. And that's one of our biggest problems. People ask me all the time, how can I get my team to buy into the ask you answer? My first answer, and this sounds terrible, but it's like, don't try to teach the ask you answer to your team. Instead, here's what you need to do. You need to go to the CEO, the leadership team, or the salesperson, whoever. You need to say, I read a book that I think, I think could be very important for our business. If I gave it to you, would you be willing to read it and discuss it with me? Literally, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Person's going to say yes. And then you say, can we discuss it in two weeks when you're done? Yeah. And they're going to say, okay. Because you see, you see if you go to somebody in your company and say, listen, 
we need to talk about cost and price on our website. We need to talk about what, what could go wrong, the negatives on our website. We need to talk about the competition. We need to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. We need to talk about pros and cons of our products and services on our website. They're going to say, you're nuts. You're crazy. You don't understand, right? So instead of doing that, you, you know, there's an old saying, James. It says, you can be a prophet to the world, but nobody listens to you in your hometown. Hmm. Right? And so there's some amazing marketers out there. Amazing. But nobody listens to them. Why? Because they're a prophet in their hometown. That's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. Sucks. Really sucks bad. But, you know, this is why, you know, you have, I have spoken to companies, many companies, because there has to be oftentimes an outside influence for that light bulb to finally come on. So that's just a couple. I'm just throwing out a couple things. Our vernacular's got to change. The way we perceive getting buy-in has got to change. We've got to recognize that we can't sound like marketers. We've got a lot of work to do. Uh, and I'm not trying to throw marketers on the bus. My passion is because I want so bad for all the creatives that are listening to this right now to be able to achieve their greatness. Because a lot of people listening to this are stallions. And what happens when a stallion is fenced in? One of two things. A stallion either dies or they jump the fence because stallions are born to run. Yeah. And so there's people listening to this right now that feel like a stallion that are fenced in, that are pent up, and that it just feel like I can't keep doing this. I can't, I can't keep doing my job with my, my, my hands tied behind my back. I can tell you right now, you're going to jump the fence. And or that's, you're going to be unhappy forever. And that's the reality. I don't know what it's like in the States. I think it's similar to here. It's a hot job market, right? And the reality is market, good marketers have choice. And there's certain... They do. I think you have um, in any organization, you, could, you know, there's, there's pros, there's cons, there's stakeholder management. You're going to run up against roadblocks. But if fundamentally it's impossible to get things moving, if done the right way, then you will jump the fence, right? Like that's just... It's, it's what we see. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's an, um, it's a, it's an interesting observation. And... Um, the stakeholder management bit is is key, and it's it's often it's a common theme on the pod. We, um, you know, I've already probably given given the secret away, Marcus. But the last question will be: What's your one piece of uh, advice for for in-house marketers trying to make their way through? And um, I reckon half the time the answer is talk revenue. You know, don't don't marketing um, can't be. You know, there's there's a certain reputation or stigma in certain businesses about marketing. And it, we, we have a responsibility to have a proper seat at the table and that's to talk about revenue and money right. and numbers and then go that's off and do right. the marketing stuff to the side of that, right? That's, that's exactly right. Marketers have to be also, by the way, social animals. We've got to be very good at developing trust across departments. And we got we to gotta get along well with the sales team. We got to get along well with leadership. We have got to elevate every room that we go in, in the organization. That's our job. That's our job. And uh, it might not be fair, but you know what? I don't think life's supposed to be fair. You know, I, I, th I think we um, reap what we sow, right? So let's go out there and let's, let's get it. And let's, let's, as we're, well, one last thing I'll say just for marketers in general, these are things that you should be discussing when you're in a job interview, by the way. You should be interviewing the company that is interviewing you just as hard as they're interviewing you, if not harder. You should find out what they're willing to talk about. You should vet them and you should 
make sure that they want to be honest, that they want to be transparent, that they want to be creative, that they want to push the envelope, that they want to do video, that they're not sitting there saying, no, but we're special, we're different, we can't do those things, right? Because, you know, even if you get even if you get more money, you're not going to be happy because you're not using your gift. You're not using your genius, right? Because you're born to run. You got to create. That's what we do. And so keep that in mind as this market, to your point, James, is hot. Many people right now are looking, but make sure that you vet them well. Yeah. So it's a genuine meeting of, of equals, right? Can we um can we just jump into the actual content side of things, the big five? The book talks about five types yes. of content that... Um, Very important. That, that you break things into, and um, I don't, I don't want to give away too much. I think um, marketers listening should go out and buy a copy of the book. But let's um, just in terms of conceptually, the big five, those those buckets of content that you kind of divide things into. Big five is is really to me. Somebody said, "What's the most important element of they ask you answer the book?" It's the big five. The big five are the five subjects that buyers and consumers we're all obsessed with that we all research online before we reach out to a company. We've seen the pattern of the big five and about 99% of all the companies that we've ever worked with before. They literally run the search economy. They run it. And what's fascinating about these five things is even though buyers and consumers are obsessed with them, businesses don't like to talk about them. Here's the five. Number one, as buyers, consumers, we wanna talk about or learn about cost, price, rates, Etc. That's number one. Even if we can afford it, we want to understand cost and price. Number two, we want to understand problems. In other words, how could this go wrong? How could this blow up in my face? Negatives, issues, concerns. Okay, so problems is number two. So we got costs and problems. Number three, comparisons. We love to compare stuff online. This versus that. How many times have you gone to Google and typed in this versus whatever this is versus that? X product versus Y product, right? X company versus Y company. I've done it a million times. And so the key is we got to be willing to address those. Your sales teams address those many, many times, right? You should on your website. Number four, reviews. We're obsessed with reviews, but we expect reviews to be unbiased and we expect them to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly, the pros and the cons. Best reviews talk about that. And so we should be talking about that as well for our own products every single time. And then finally, number five of the big five is best or most or top. But you know, how many times have you searched best such and such in Google before? If you're listening to this, hundreds of times. <laughs> so those five costs, problems, comparisons, reviews, and best. Again, they run the economy, but businesses don't like to generally talk about these things. I will tell you right now that roughly 75, 80% of the content on your website should directly or indirectly relate to these five subjects. Because it's the stuff that's the... And if they don't, you ain't getting traction like you want, I can tell you. That's the real questions in the buyer's brain, right? Those five areas. That's what they want to know. And those are, that's what, so like, let's break this down for, let's say a fiberglass swimming pool, okay? So if it's a fiberglass pool, it's, you know, fiberglass, how much does a fiberglass pool cost? Or how much does an in-ground pool cost? Or how much does a concrete pool cost? How much does a vinyl liner in-ground pool cost? All those are separate questions. All those important questions are questions I'd want to answer on my website. Problems. Are fiberglass pools ugly? Are fiberglass pools cheap? Do fiberglass pools pop out of the ground? Do fiberglass pools look like a bathtub in your yard? I mean, there's there's, ton, there's tons of them. Do fiberglass pools crack? Okay. All those are negatives, problems. Hey, is it true that I heard that? Okay. Those are problem statements versus statements. Fiberglass versus concrete, which is best for me. 
uh, fiberglass pools versus vinyl liner pools, you know, which is the best option, right? So that's another example, but there's other verses, you know, yeah. uh, uh, stamp concrete versus brush concrete for your pool patio, which is the best option, right? So that's, those are verses, right? Yeah. And then you have reviews, right? This might be a review of the top five, you know, fiberglass pool manufacturers in Australia, right? That's an example of one. And then finally you got best, which is, you know, who are the best fiberglass pool builders in Sydney, Australia, right? That's, that's, a, that's an example of something that many people would search, right? Which by the way, fiberglass pools were really founded in Australia. Just if you're listening to this, right? and you're from, <laughs> from all, if you're an Aussie, uh, you know, the market is just is rich with fiberglass pools Interesting. in Australia. Interesting. That's and, funny. In, in America, most manufacturers, they came from some type of Australian heritage. Interesting. Didn't know that. Didn't didn't think I'd learn that on the pod today, Marcus. You learned um, it today, my friend. <laughs> Can we talk um, industry B two B, B two C, short buyer cycle, long buyer cycle? Yeah. What are the? We've got our business down here. Appliances online, probably really similar to the Yale appliances example in the book, which yeah. is appliances, and they've done this incredible job of videos and demos and lots of content for each of their products and comparisons. Where do you find they ask you answer works absolutely at its best? Um, and are there other industries where, yeah, sure, it, it, it plays a role, but it isn't as fundamental to kind of being transformative? Yeah, they ask you answer works really well if um, buyers have a lot of questions during the research process. That could be in the B2B, that could be in the B2C. It certainly applies uh, to services as well, right? So, so I mean, there are certain ones where it just always cleans house, to your point, like like uh, like a high-end retail, like furniture, like appliances, where there's just so many questions that people are researching. It does incredibly well with that. You know, it's like, you might say, well, what, where would they ask you to answer and not necessarily crush it? I mean, and by the way, it would work in a lot of areas, but it wouldn't like you wouldn't have as much, much direct um, results. Well, like a restaurant, for example, you're not going to answer every question in the world about, you know, your food. You know, if, if I'm a restaurant, I've got a full time videographer and all I do is I create videos about, you know, the stories of my, my customers, my people. But it's it's not it's not a straight they ask you answer play if I was a restaurant, for example. Yeah. Right. But a B2B service based business. Heck yeah, right? So like, you know, uh, as an inbound marketing agency, right? It's like, how much does it cost to hire an inbound marketing agency? It's an example. Uh, you could compare, you know, different agencies, you know, against each other. It's, a, it's one example. I mean, there's a lot. You can compare different software, different tools, you know, HubSpot, you know, versus Salesforce, yeah. you know, which is the best CRM, you know, for me, right? That's an example. Of, of, you know, type of, you know, traditional B2B service-based question. I mean, there's, there's so, so many if you're really open to the way people search and the way that they are learning online. Is it too simple to suggest that the longer the buyer journey, the bigger the ticket price, the better it works? Well, Google doesn't fully agree with that. And, and what we find is um, the, the more someone is afraid to make a purchasing mistake, the better it works. Because the more we're afraid to make a mistake, the more time we'll spend. I mean, Google's done a bunch of things like, I mean, they did this one, they, they did a study on just how much content are people willing to consume. And they said, you know, we found this one particular searcher was looking for uh, candy as a gift for a friend to send mm. to them. 
but they researched like a hundred and some pages online before they chose the right candy. A hundred and some freaking pages, right? So it's like you would say they spent 10 bucks on candy, hmm. but yet they researched a hundred some pages. Why? Because they valued the relationship with their friend hmm. and they wanted the gift to mean a lot, right? So that's an example of how valuing the decision is really the key. Hmm. Um, some people are, you know, let's say you're super rich and you're flippant and you just make uh, buying decisions on a whim. Well, in, in those moments, that person is just, they're not going through much of a buyer's journey, right? Hmm. Because they're just like, ah, oh, that looks good. Spend the money. Whereas somebody else might say, ah, this is, you know, so there's people that could take a, a week to, to, to go through the process of buying a swimming pool. And there's people that take five years. Yeah. Right. That's it. And most people with the pool example, it's an important purchase, right? Regardless of the money involved and how wealthy you are or not, it, you, you want, right. you, you got a one shot deal, right? you want, screw up your backyard. Yeah, that's it. Right. So it's, I think anything household functional, very much so. Yeah, very much so. So it works great in those areas. But again, if you're a B2B service, I mean, we've got 50% of our clients, 50% probably of the practitioners of they ask you answer B2B. And we've just had unbelievable success uh, within the beast within the b2b space yeah and i think that's a big for us b2b it's a highly emotional purchase just because it's not your money doesn't mean it doesn't matter right you're looking at your job and job security and how you progress through your, oh yeah you yeah. don't want to screw up no right because there's a lot riding your job's riding on it your you know your your performance is riding on it you want to make the right decision for the company right sometimes people will do way more research in a b2b uh purchasing cycle than they will and then they say well what about multiple decision makers that's dumb because you know when people are buying a swimming pool there's multiple decision makers you know it's oftentimes there's a couple there's kids you know it's like a whole family right those are that's a multiple decision makers that's the board right yeah and so it's just like again the you know what's interesting james whenever companies are really latched on to this like i just don't see how this applies to us they're just not very good at marketing yeah <laughs> not uh, and like a lot of this to me is the um a lot of i do a reasonable amount of speaking and often you, you're speaking to business owners business leaders not always marketers right and there's still this misconception around attribution it's like well if we're spending x on digital marketing this much on google or on linkedin or facebook i expect y in return and it's like you're selling a seven figure software piece that has a panel of people through procurement you've got hundreds if not thousands of touch points digitally and offline you're probably riding the wave or not of conferences and events that took place five ten years ago it's insanity to think you're going to measure this from a three-month digital campaign and and this is that right like google's data around going for the path to purchase of buying a car is 900, yeah. 900 touch points right it's the the two adults in the family it's multiple devices so it is putting yourself properly into the shoes of the buyer journey as opposed to trying to artificially manipulate and make it work based on your business cycles and you know quarterly planning right yeah you know sometimes people say you know really how long should it take all this stuff that we're talking about to work right and there's a reason why if you if you read the book they ask you answer you're going to see different parts there's a whole marketing section then there's a whole sales section and then there's a whole uh, video section and there's a whole implementation section so when it comes to sales we screw up a lot as marketers because isn't it a tragedy when we're out there producing all this content and so often the sales team doesn't even know it exists. 
and they're not integrating it into their sales process. If you want your content to work for you tomorrow, the most important thing you can do right now is make sure that your sales team is integrating it intentionally into the sales process. Mm. Now we call that in the book, assignment selling. And if you're listening to this right now, you can Google it, but that's how you can ensure immediate results with your content marketing, content production efforts. Because just think of the value of the marketing department. If you're producing content that is shortening sales cycles and increasing closing rates. So let's say you never got a visitor from Google again. You never got an additional lead from your content. Could you justify its worth, right? That's a beautiful challenge. The only way you could do it, and you can do it big time because I've done it, hmm. is you got to make sure the sales team knows how to integrate it into the sales process. For example, let's say you produce this amazing cost price piece of content, which really explained the industry and why some companies are expensive and why some companies are cheap. And, you know, you talked about, you know, what drives cost up and what drives cost down and you just really explain all these things about the industry so that they say, okay, now I understand. And now I understand why you're 10% more. And of course that I can now justify why you're 10% more because you explained it so well, because I read this thing that you, that you gave me. Well, like if, if they could integrate that into their sales process, as soon as it starts, before they had the first meeting, how'd the conversation be different? It would be different. Yeah. I guarantee you, it would be different. And so that's what we're talking about here. And that's why, it, you know, when, when somebody says, yeah, it takes, you know, it takes about, you know, six months, 12 months, 18 months for content marketing, they ask you answer, whatever you want to call it to really take off. Well, I'd say, well, it sounds like sales ain't involved because if sales was involved in this process, it'd start working tomorrow. I like that. I think that's a really good takeaway, right? For marketers, if you're wanting to actually get some rubber on the road early, it's working with sales to arm them. And, and I think, you know, so much in the book is about how do you pull insights and how do you actually get into the mindset of the customer? And often sales teams are a brilliant place to start, right? Because most, so. most of the questions that are in the minds of your prospects, they're asking to your sales team. And most of the time, they're pretty similar. 100%. Where do you say that they ask you answer sits with content marketing and inbound? Like they're obviously all kind of related in some ways. They're connected. How do you kind of describe that? They're very related. In, in fact, they were born from those two things. Um, they ask you answer is just my way of putting a framework around them. Yeah. Because if you, if here's what's interesting to me. Uh, and I'm going to give you a little trade secret here, but I'm, you know, it's not really a trade secret. We're recording here, Marcus. You, you own an agency, right? You own an agency. And so I, you know, my agency sells against agencies. My favorite question to ask somebody in the sales process, and I taught my sales team to ask this, they ask the prospect, so um, the agency you're working with, are they going to help you or are they going to guide you or are they going to produce for you uh, content? And uh, the answer is always yes. Uh, in some way, shape, or form, right? They're either going to guide them or they're going to produce it for them. And then the next question is, okay, so what framework do they use for their content production process? And the prospect every time says, what do you mean framework? It's like, you know, like framework, like what is the engineered plan that they follow in order to produce effective content every single time? And nobody ever has an answer. They ask you answer was the first true, true content framework written for the digital age yeah that's what makes it special nice and the last part of the book that i'd like to just get into is video you, you write a lot in the book about why video yep. is special why it's important 
and how to get it moving through an organization, if we can just touch on that. Well, everybody has this gut feeling that they know videos taking over, visuals taking over, right? Of course, that was catapulted a uh, hundred years forward, pretty much with COVID, right? I mean, we jumped we jumped ten years in three. Is what we did. We jumped ten years in three. We can't just tell it. Got to show it, because if you're telling it and everybody else is telling it, it's just noise until you show it, because seeing is believing, right? Yeah. And so uh, our customers need to feel like they've heard our voice before we've ever met them. They've seen our face before we've ever met them and that they know us before we've ever met them. And if we achieve those things, we'll achieve trust. And again, when we talk with somebody, they should literally say stuff like, you're just like you are in the yeah. video or you know, whatever. It's like, that's the way it is. You've heard that before, James. Like you yeah. meet somebody who's like, yeah, you're just like I thought you were because I listened to your podcast all the yeah. time, right? They know your voice. They know the way you There's think. an intimacy there, right? Right. There's an intimacy. That's a great word for it. And so uh, we've got to level up. In a time where we're becoming more digital and less, quote, human, video can humanize us and, 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 and hold, hold that humanity that we're, that we're losing. And so uh, everybody needs to be all in it, all in on it, including sales teams. Excellent, Marcus. Mate, it's been awesome having you on the pod. I thank you for your time. I think I've just been scribbling notes here as, as we've been talking and just so many awesome takeaways for, for listeners to the pod. I think just that top line obsession over the customer and what's going on in their brain as opposed to what's going on in your brand. Um, trust, 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 trust. And the reality is, is that the buyer journey has changed. We know it, that it's the end user that has the control. If, if they're not finding out from your business, they're finding out from someone else's, right? Um, I love the vetting us to death analogy. I think that is real. I think it's what we do in our lives as, as customers and as consumers. So let's apply it to how we market our own businesses. Um, I think just the, the importance of a decision being so relevant, like it doesn't matter if it's a $10 confectionery product or a $7 million piece of software. If it's an important decision, we're researching it to death, right? Um, as I said to you, I, I have pre-warned you. What's the one piece of marketing advice that you'd give to an in-house marketer listening to the pod? So as to not be redundant, uh, what we said, I'll say this. There's a lot of bad advice out there that says you need to be everywhere. That's terrible advice. You don't need to be everywhere. Find me on Instagram. You ain't. Find me on Facebook. You ain't. Where are you going to find me? LinkedIn. And I crush it on LinkedIn. I put my eggs in the LinkedIn basket for social media. Because I learned early on that if you tried to be a jack of all social media trades, you'll be a master of none. So focus on being a master of one with your strategy. You know, with River Pools, we became the most traffic swim pool website in the world. And I didn't do any social media for like mm. the first six years. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's saying, I can get out there on Facebook. And it's like, because I'm going to be the Wikipedia of pools. You see Wikipedia on Facebook? No. Hmm. So sure, I got Facebook today, but that was after I became a master. Yeah. So become a master and then move on. Yeah. Music music to my ears and to the customers of Rocket, the clients of Rocket. It's definitely what we preach, right? Which is go deep at something. Don't go broad at, at lots of things and, and do it superficially. Marcus, thanks so much for uh, coming onto the Smarter Marketer podcast. Hopefully we catch up sooner rather than later at a conference or something like that. 
Yeah, I'd like that. And let me just say too, thank you, James, and your your clients at Rocket are lucky to have you. You all are doing good things. And so I'm, I'm glad that I was here with you. Legend. Thanks, Marcus. Thanks for listening to the Smarter Marketer podcast. Stay up to date about new episodes on LinkedIn and Instagram by searching for Smarter Marketer podcast. You can purchase your own copy of Smarter Marketer via the Amazon website. And if you want a second opinion about your business's approach to digital marketing, send me an email, jamesl at rocketagency.com.au or visit the rocketagency.com.au website. Thanks for your time.